Northwest Prime, bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. I'm your host, Lori Ness, a soldier on the front line of the mainstream. You can listen to this and other shows at northwestprime.com and be sure to stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7-365 for more great music and interviews. We're starting a movement of kindness and we want you to join us. Let's get this show started. Well, our guest today is the boss of Sauce himself, James Peterson, with more than 15 books to his name, including the James Beard Foundation Cookbook of the Year Sauces, which is available now in its fourth edition. I'm thrilled to welcome James Peterson to the show today. This is the most comprehensive collection of a cookbook on sauces I've ever seen put together, and we're going to talk to him about that and the James Beard Award, and we're going to talk about some tips for the holidays for Make a Great Sauce, and we're going to be back in just a moment with the James Beard Award-winning Cookbook of the Year author, James Peterson, in just a moment, And but first, let's listen to Not in My Backyard by Andrew Landers. People dying everywhere, no one seems to care. We walk right by the sense of dies and deny like nothing's there. Now life's gonna be myself and die. It would only take a hands off and covered eyes. Our, our hearts are stone, might start to cry. It's not in my backyard. Losses look away. You can't let down your guard. You better play and stay. I fall into someone else's bad day. Sorry, I can't stay. It's not in my backyard. No, 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 no. Just got the news she was only two. A precious life won't get kissed tonight. I guess you win some, some you lose. Catch your smiles dramatically, pauses a while, and moves on to the next story just for you. Tell me again, what would Jesus do? In fact, what would you do? It's not in my backyard, so I just look away. Can't let down your guard, you better play and save. Or you might fall into someone else's bad day. Sorry, I can't. Not in my backyard, no. Living the dream while Africa screams, we bow and kneel and pray and say, God, bless the USA, let freedom reign. Forty million dead while we sleep in our beds, eight thousand a day we let pass away as death runs through their veins. Not in my backyard, so I just look away. You can't let down your guard, you better play at the You might fall into someone else's bad day. Sorry, I can't stay. Sorry, I can't. 
out in my backyard for sure. I would hope so. Well, you make it easy with your book. Like I said, this is really the Bible of sauces. Every sauce you've ever thought of, you've compiled into this book. How did this work start, and how long did it take you to put this together for us? Well, the first edition took two years of every day getting up in the morning, I mean every day, seven days a week, going into the office and writing for four or five hours that, and experimenting and testing. So it was a two-year project. And then this last revision was almost a whole year in addition to that. Wow. Because there are lots of uh, new things in it, lots of additions of, of new compounds and recipes and techniques and all that. Well, why don't you give us a little history of how sauces started? Because it, it actually goes way back. Well, it seems that every culture wants some kind of sauce because when you cook things, they release liquid, and that's a natural sauce. So people generally like to make sauces um, in all cultures, and the, the earliest one that I really know anything about is Roman cooking. And the Romans were tended to use – they used lots of herbs, mushrooms, local products, but they doused everything with garum or liquidum, they called it, which is a kind of – a the closest equivalent now would be Thai fish sauce. It was made from fish in barrels of the juice that came out, just like good Thai fish sauce. But it was used on everything, so it seems it's hard to know how much they used and how it was incorporated into flavorings. But it's aggressive stuff, so I don't really know what the food ultimately tasted like. But yeah, then we moved. How, how dull is food without sauce? I mean, sauce, the, the, the secret sauce is sauce, really. <laughs> well, sauce, to me, sauce, usually in, my, in, the French, in the French sort of concept of it, it's used to underline and accentuate flavors. Like if you have a chicken and you make a chicken sauce, it's, you want it to taste more like chicken than the chicken. That's a kind of French thing. 
Most cultures, including the newer style I see people cooking here in Brooklyn, is um, tends to be more contrasting with the food. In other words, you have a piece of chicken and you have some sort of salsa next to it as a, as a bright, spicy contrast to the real uh, gentleness of the flavor of the meat. So there are two two ways of approaching it, and I, I encompass them both in here. But I'm most fond of the first one where you're really sort of alchemically distilling the flavor of a particular food. Is is that an evolution that's going on with sauces? Do you think as, as people become more comfortable with maybe the um, the traditional sauces, the mother sauces, so to speak, that they're experimenting outside of that and it's it's evolving into this contrast, like you were saying? Well, I'm not sure. It seems when I go out to dinner these days, unless I go to a very classic French place, I get condiments as sauces. Mm-hmm. I get various mixtures put on the plate to go with my foods, which is fine. It can often be delicious. But I'm more drawn to the concept of flavoring foods of themselves, getting things to taste more of themselves. But right. those approaches are legitimate. Did you travel to collect all of these recipes and ideas? How did you gather all of this information uh, to get to this point where, where is it, you started in cooking in France, right? Is, is that where you kind of cut That's where I got the, got the basics was in France. And then I had a restaurant here in New York for four years. And that, um, during that four years, I was able to experiment with everything on the poor public. But the public liked it and um, make sauces, all kinds of sauces. But what interests me in a book like this and in all my books really is not so much the recipes. The recipes are there to illustrate the underlying concepts. I want people to cook intuitively and naturally and without recipes, actually. The recipes are there to, to show you, to show what I've described as the context. In other words, I'll lead up to how you make a, a puri, a jus, a chicken with, with a little jus. I'll, I'll talk a lot about how that is done. And then the recipe just states it. But if you just read the recipe, you're not going to understand the concepts that are important and that are at play. So are, are you wanting people to use the recipe just, just as, as a guide? Well, in a way, yes. I mean, I don't mean the recipes aren't legitimate or good. It's just that I encourage people to use them, all recipes with a grain of salt, so to speak, um, and and look at them as, as tools to learn from but not necessarily duplicate. I draw the analogy between an electrician and an electrical engineer. An electrician follows directions and installs wiring and conduit and all that stuff. Whereas an electrical engineer designs it, designs the electrical layout as to his, as to his or her prowess in that field. Um, so it's analogous to that, really, where you have you have someone who's creating, just kind of looking at ingredients and putting things together according to what's available and what looks good, versus someone who's blindly following a recipe. With it's like painting by numbers. That's another a good analogy for it. When you paint by numbers and those little, remember those little things when we were kids? I don't know, they still have those. I think they do. You put the number, the color in, Mm -hmm. and you come out with a painting. And I learned very um, early on that the more sloppy you do it, the sloppily you do it, 
the more effective the the, the painting. But anyway, that's something else. Yeah. Well, but, it, it um, gives us. A, a lot of control because so much of sauces that we might get in a grocery store, they they already have loaded it with sugar and salt. And when we're making the sauce ourselves, we control how much we want to put oh, in. Oh, yes. I, I never would buy a sauce from a grocery store. I, I don't trust them. The only thing I use a little bit sometimes in an emergency is bottled mayo. Now, that sounds weird. You think, well, huh? Um, <laughs> But the bottle mayo trick, if you're making a mayonnaise, a handmade, you know, homemade mayonnaise at the last minute, you have people coming over, you want to make, throw something together, and you don't want to stand there and work, get that yolk and those first few drops of oil in there to, to emulsify. So take a, take a dollop of mayo, bottled mayo, maybe a little lemon juice, an egg yolk if you're worried about the color, which I am. I don't like my mayonnaise to look white. Um, and then start whisking in the oil. And because the mayonnaise, the bottle mayonnaise is already in the motion, you just stir the oil right in, and you're there. Interesting. Interesting. Well, that is, is a really great point about the book, too. So many of these sauces aren't complicated. And so you, you, you really mastered the skill level all the way up to professional, but from the basic home cook all the way up to someone who's professional, I mean, I mean, literally everything is, is, is covered in here. I've never seen a more con- comprehensive uh, book about sauces than what you have, right? It, r- it really is one stop for You don't need any other – you could get – you know, no one has I to go out by not. any other sauce book. Right. But I like to think also that it's a book about how to cook because mm-hmm. to make a good sauce often, you, you have to know how to roast. You, don't, you need, need to know how to braise and poach. You no, need to know all those basic cooking techniques. Because from those things, you're deriving a sauce. And if you screw up the technique, don't roast the chicken right, well, then you have no sauce. So it's really a book about cooking. And, in fact, my French translator wanted to change it to the art of cooking well in the French translation, <laughs> which well, I would have lied. It, it, it's in its fourth edition, so something's going right. <laughs> Keeping me employed. <laughs> what are some of the basic pitfalls that, that, that people are doing wrong when it comes to sauces? Well, it depends on which sauce, of course. But one thing that people do or don't do is they tend to ignore their stocks when they make stock or broth. They're really the same thing. Stock just is more intimidating. Um, but you make a broth, and there are tricks to it, that you, things you have to be careful of to avoid cloudiness, to avoid greasiness or muddiness. And one of the things is never to allow it to boil and to skim the fat off very carefully every 15, 20 minutes or so. And that's something often people just boil away their chicken broth, and they have murky, gray stuff, and it's not very good. So so that's kind of a, a, a stumbling point for people, I would say. Well, do you have a signature sauce for the holidays? What's your go-to Well, sauce? of course, the chicken gravy. <laughs> I mean, the turkey gravy, of course. <laughs> That's that. I like to cook lobster for special occasions. And one one of the things I do is it's not in here. I don't think I put it. Maybe I, I don't remember what's well, where. Well, you have something for the fifth edition then. <laughs> but I make a five-minute lobster. Most books say to cook a lobster for 20 minutes. Well, you cook a lobster for 20 minutes. It's tough and rubbery. You cook it for five minutes. Boiling water, a certain pot of boiling water, like per usual. 
Take it out after five minutes. Cover it with a towel. Let it sit for five so it continues to cook. And, and then your lobster is cooked. There's only one problem. The roe, which is inside, is not cooked. It's still not hot enough. So you take it out and you make a sauce. Um, and you whisk it up into a sauce. In fact, that's the sauce that's on the cover of the book. You see that orange sauce? Yes, yes. When you put the roe in there, it's gray. It's it's black. It's very, very dark green, actually, but it looks black. And as you're stirring it, it goes from this murky green, and as it gets hot, it turns orange. It's an absolutely fabulous thing to watch happen. Well, it's a beautiful picture that's on the front of this cookbook and I wondered what that was I wanted to ask you which sauce that was actually uh, that that was on the the front of that cookbook so that yes, is good to know that's it. who doesn't love lobster mm, I do right <laughs> well it's a good trick because that roe is so flavorful that you can make enough sauce one of the things I like to do and I suggest for people who want lobster but they don't can't afford a lot of lobster is to buy one female lobster make this sauce and use it with serve it with chicken on chicken as a little fricassee. That way, all the flavor of the lobster's there, and the chicken acts as a foil for it. And they have lobster on it. It's quite lovely that way. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's almost the same concept then as maybe an Oscar, like you know, when you're putting crab on top of a steak or something like that. It's just sort of. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. What's the secret to a good turkey gravy? You, you, you talked about your, your signature for the holidays being a good turkey gravy. What's the what's secret to a good turkey gravy? Well, you have to start with cooking the turkey correctly, of course. And what I do, the problem, there's an inherent problem with making a gravy or a jus. A jus is just a fancy word for gravy that isn't thickened. Just the juices are a, a jus, J-U-S. Um... um Let's see, now I lost my chance on here. We were um, talking about, um, what was it exactly we were talking about? The turkey Oh, the turkey I'm sorry, I should remember that yeah. one. Um, well, you first up, you have to roast the turkey. Now, the problem is that the turkey, when properly roasted, in other words, not overcooked, will not release much in the way of juices to build your gravy on. So what I do is I take um, turkey wings or backs or parts, cut, chop them up a little bit, and spread them on the bottom of the roasting pan with some vegetables, some carrots and onions. And then I put the, the bird on that, and that keeps it from sticking to the pan. And also those things caramelize and re- release juices that will give me my gravy. Mm. So one tip, do not use a rack. If you okay. use an oven rack and you put that in at 500 to brown it or 450 to brown it, what happens is, uh, or to cook it, what happens is the juices drip out from that um, rack and land on the roasting pan, which is for however hot the oven is, and burn. So you want this base underneath it to pre- prevent that from happening. And then once the turkey is done... And I always put a little foil over the breast for part of the cooking time so the breast comes out at the same time, comes done at the same time as the thigh. And then when it's done, I take the turkey out, put it on the platter, and um, put the roasting pan on top of the stove and caramelize all those juices that were released from those wings and such. And I may add a little broth and cook it down until it browns and caramel. I keep doing that. 
and ext- then deglaze it for a final time, add liquid or broth, and pour it off, and you have there's your jus, there's your basic gravy without any thickener. And if you want gravy, then you make a little roux. You can use some of the turkey fat and a couple of tablespoons of flour, a couple of tablespoons of turkey fat, and whisk that into your your jus a little bit at a time. You don't want to get it too thick. And when it has the thickness you like, you have to bring it to the simmer for the thickening power to take effect. When you get it to the thickness you like, um, you can add the giblets. And the giblets, I cook with the bird. I just put them around the bird as it's cooking and then chop them up and add them to the to the gravy at the end. Nice. So it's a five-minute <laughs> explanation of how to make turkey dinner. How many people do you have over for Thanksgiving? What does Thanksgiving look like at your house? Um, empty. There's no one here. I go out. <laughs> I go. I get invited to other people's. I'm so tired of cooking, to be honest with you. I'm exhausted. I'm 66 years old. I've been cooking for 40 years, and I want someone to cook for me now. I mean, I'll tell well, them how think- to do it. <laughs> I just want them to do the actual work. <laughs> I don't blame you. My mother-in-law says the same thing. She said uh, she said that she's cooked so many Thanksgiving and, and Christmas dinners over her lifetime. Now she wants to sit back and and, and have people cook, and, and and she'll be in the uh, in the kitchen and helping, and you know tweaking a little bit here and there. Sure. But when it comes to the whole thing, she's you know she's she's paid her dues. So I completely understand where you're coming from on that. <laughs> yes, it's 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 a, it's a job because it, it's mostly the cleanup that's the hard part. It is. It is. Do do people get intimidated though if if you're coming over and, and going to have their food, knowing that yeah, you're really the king of not always, not always, but sometimes I my assistant. With whom I I was very close. I took her to India after we finished doing cooking. We went to India for three weeks together, and we came back and and she's um she's uh interested very much in um in Indian food. So we went there to do research on Indian food, and um she invited me to dinner, and the poor thing was so nervous. I didn't think about it. I wasn't thinking about it, and she was pouring something out of a a cafe thing, you know, a pitcher, and she was shaking. She was so nervous. And here, here we're very close and chummy, and she's cooked with me and she photographed with me for, for years, and she was still that nervous. I felt terrible. Oh. There's no need to be nervous around me. <laughs> well, you sound like a really down-to-earth guy, and, and I would hope that I wouldn't be nervous either, but I but I would probably be like like she would, and and I probably would would be nervous. Um, bless her heart. But uh, so she, she she was really trying to do the right thing for you. Oh sure, I had invited her to dinner. She came over with her husband, and, and we had dinner, and so uh, she reciprocated. And poor thing, I went over there, and she was just, <laughs> she was drinking too much. She was so nervous. <laughs> I didn't work. I mean, the dinner was fine. I didn't even remember what we had. It was fine. <laughs> Whatever it was, and well, I always take into con- yeah. That, that's a great thing about the dinner party is 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 really I mean the the, the memory like that that uh, you can sit back and laugh about it and it touches your heart down the road. Yes, yes, it, it, it's an amazing thing. Dinner parties. I I was in a class teaching class in Ohio, and the food was a little bit elaborate, a little bit more than everyday food. So I said, I said, you know, this food's a little bit complicated for your family. Maybe you do this for dinner parties. 
And I went on about dinner parties for a while. And I said, we don't give dinner parties. I went, well, ah, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and they said, I, I, they don't give dinner parties. It's too expensive. Well, well, that doesn't make sense because you take turns. Right. But anyway, they don't give dinner parties. I said, well, you have people over, right? And they said, yeah, oh, yes, you have people over. <laughs> <laughs> But they, that the dinner party concept was foreign to them. And to me, if you get on a circuit with a large number of people, it makes more sense because it's less work. Exactly. You have 12 people well, on the circuit. Exactly. Then you, you have your turn. Then you get to relax 11 more times. Exactly. Do it that, that one time. And I'd rather cook for 12 once, once every couple of months than <laughs> cook for two every day. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's very true. And really, that that's what Thanksgiving dinner is 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 a dinner party. So you're having people sure. over, and uh, you know, hopefully everyone's getting along and having a great time. If not, there's usually alcohol, which uh, mm-hmm. helps with that as well. But in 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 this holiday season, so we, we've covered the turkey, and so we we know how to make a good gravy. Now, as as we move into December, some people go in; they'll start having duck or ham. And you talk in, in your your cookbook sauces about glazes as well. So I mean, it's it's not just sauces; it's dipping sauces. Uh, you have a really great teriyaki sauce in here. You have pasta sauces, dessert sauces. It's all broken. I mean, really. Anything you can think of, you have really tried to cover, and and that includes glazes. Yeah, sure, glazes are essential. And is is ham where we mostly see glazes at? Is it, it during the holidays? Uh, well, a glaze to me, a glaze forms. Ideally, a glaze forms naturally, and and the best example of that is when you braise something like a pot roast. Take your pot roast. Take, when the pot roast is done, take it out of the oven. Strain the braising liquid, the, the liquid that surrounds it. Skim off any fat. Put it back. Clean the pot or get a new pot. Put it back in with with the um the, the liquid. Put it in a hot oven or medium to hot oven, and braise it. And and I mean continue glazing it. And you baste it. And as the uh, um, the surrounding liquid reduces, it turns into a glaze. And it also exposes it to oxygen so that it creates these, that Maillard reaction when all these flavors come out. So that's a good trick to do that. Yes. Well, this book sauces, we're in the holiday season. It makes a fantastic gift. And so be sure to write this down and give it to someone you know who is a, a good home cook, a wannabe home cook, or a great home cook, or a professional. This is the it's really the, the the one comprehensive book that anyone would just need. They wouldn't need anything else in their in their library other than this book. And I really appreciate James you taking the time to come on. I, I originally told you 15 minutes. I've held you over for 30, <laughs> and it's I, it's been a wonderful conversation. I could talk to you for hours, but it just uh, it's an amazing, amazing book, especially at this time of the year. But I'm also one who likes to give cookbooks as graduation gifts for people going out, and birthday presents, and and of course here at the holidays and, and and you definitely need to look this book up sauces by james peterson because it's i mean it, it was a cookbook of the year what an honor is that i mean oh, it, it doesn't get any better <laughs> <laughs> you can't top that no that was amazing i did, totally unexpected well i, I, can did, totally I didn't even know that award existed 
<laughs> well, I can completely see how it became the cookbook of the year because it really is uh, a full information Bible uh, for anyone who's interested in sauce making, and, and, and most of us are on, on some level. And you can start easy if, if you are intimidated, and you can work your way up all the way through. But it's, it's or if you're already there, he has all the information for you. So it covers everything for everyone. So I encourage everybody to go to Amazon or go to Barnes and Noble and look at, look at it, put it in your cart and buy it. And if you're at a bookstore, they actually still do have bookstores, um, <laughs> stop by and pick it up. So happy holidays to you, James. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. It was really a treat. Lord, it was a delight talking to you. Thank you so much. You were the sauce on the top of my day. <laughs> you too. You're earlier there, though. I'm at four. We are, yeah. We are three hours, I think, behind mm-hmm. you. But you, you have a wonderful evening and a happy holiday. You too, Lori. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye bye. The book is called Sauces by James Peterson. It's available now in its fourth edition. Everybody is buying it. You need to buy it, too. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, You don't have to buy any more sauce books. I can guarantee you that. I don't know how many pages it is here, but uh, almost 700 pages uh, with all kinds of information and photos. It's absolutely beautiful. Take a look at it, and it makes a wonderful gift. It makes a wonderful gift for yourself. You guys have a great day and a happy holiday. The book is called Sauces, and it's available now. Thanks for joining us here at Northwest Prime on Seattle Wave Radio.